We'll have our uh, argument next uh, in case 1252, Dan City Used Cars versus Pelkey. Mr. Bufard. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the issue in this case is whether Section 14501 of the United States Transportation Code expressly preempts the respondent's state law consumer protection and tort claims for damages against a tow trucker who towed his vehicle lawfully and then several months later disposed of the vehicle after the fees for towing and storage had not been paid. Both of these claims are preempted because they are directed at the conduct, the type of conduct that tow truck companies all over this country every day engage in, in dealing with a particular type of tow that's referred to in the business as non-consensual tows. Mr. Buffard, this law, this New Hampshire law, it regulates storage. <coughs> Is this a law that applies only to the towing companies who tow the automobile and then store it? Or does the law apply, say, to a garage? Say, uh, someone brings a, a car to a garage for repairs and uh, does this storage law regulate garage operations as well as towing operations? Justice Ginsburg, this law regulates abandoned motor vehicles. It's an abandoned motor vehicle law. So, so it would apply to a garage operator? Well, if a garage operator came into possession of an abandoned motor vehicle, then I suppose it would. If, if you look at the, at the title to this subchapter of this New Hampshire statute, the title is Abandoned Vehicles. Yeah, but what made it abandoned was that they tried to locate the owner, couldn't, and so the, the same thing could happen with the garage owner as happened to the towing truck. So there's nothing peculiar about being in the towing business that makes this storage application, a storage statute, apply. Well, the, the, let, let me be clear about the statute, Your Honor. It's an abandoned vehicle statute. Uh, and um, what's really important to understand with this case is that none of the plaintiff's claims rely on this abandoned vehicle statute. The plaintiff has pled in his complaint a couple of allegations of violations of this abandoned vehicle law, but the substantive rights that were sued upon by the plaintiff in this case do not live in the abandoned motor vehicle law. The substantive rights that were sued upon by the plaintiff live in the state's consumer protection law, which is a separate New Hampshire statute, unrelated to the abandoned vehicle law. And secondly, the claim that the the common law negligence claim in this case arises out of the common law of New Hampshire. It doesn't arise out of the abandoned motor vehicle law. One of the sources of confusion I would submit in the New Hampshire Supreme Court's decision is that it did not adequately deal with the, the, the role of the abandoned vehicle law in this case. The abandoned vehicle law actually plays a relatively minor role as it relates to the causes of action that were pled in this case and the causes of action that the preemption defense is directed to in this case. What's your point? If it's not part of the towing law, then it's further removed. 
the reason the reason why these claims are preempted, Your Honor, is because they all stem from the towing of the vehicle, which was followed by the storage of the vehicle. I guess I mean I guess you could have thousands of claims across the country, millions of claims where there are all kinds of towing laws and. And, uh, you know, it says in Cambridge, Massachusetts, park your car here during a snow emergency, it will be towed. Probably every northeastern country has laws like that. I guess there could be millions of negligence claims when the thing is towed, the guy broke the headlight. Well, I think and, that's uh, a different Are all those things preempted? I, I would be amazed. I don't think so, Your Honor. We're not — And what's not- the difference between this and, and, and uh, what could arise any day of the week? I mean, I, as I read your brief, that co- what, what, are you saying that — all the Northeast statutes that say your tar- car will be towed if you park here during a snow emergency? What happens? I mean, do they have to go to the Department of Transportation? Uh, Boston couldn't function. I know that they do tow cars. I don't know that firsthand, but I've seen it. <laughs> so, so, so how's it supposed to work? There's, there's, no, there's no claim in this case, Your Honor, that the abandoned motor vehicle law is preempted, that New Hampshire's abandoned motor vehicle law. Well, all right, there isn't in this case, but I'm curious to know how it works, because it seemed to me from what you're arguing, all the abandoned motor vehicle laws and all the snow emergency towing and everything else that I see every day would be uh, preempted a fortiori. So you tell me how it all works. We are arguing that the causes of action that were pled in this case, which are a Consumer Protection Act claim for damages, and attorney's fees, treble damages, actually, in the Consumer Protection Act claim. That claim is predicated on the Consumer Protection Law. It's predicated on the State of New Hampshire's policy protecting consumers. Now, there's, there's an allegation in the complaint that there was also — there happened to be a violation of this abandoned vehicle law. But that is a completely meaningless allegation as it relates to the Consumer Protection Act, because even if it were a violation of the abandoned vehicle law, that would not make it a violation of the Consumer Protection Law. Consumer Protection Laws are intended to regulate fairness in business practices. That's what that statute says. My question is, is the same as Justice Breyer's. It seems to me you're running in the wrong direction. To the extent you say the case doesn't involve New Hampshire's uh, towing law, but involves just its general consumer protection law, it's it's even further uh, distant from being preempted. I, I well, I, w- there's a difference, Your Honor, Justice Scalia, between um, whether the case is predicated on the New Hampshire towing law and whether or not these causes of action are related to the towing of the vehicle. Our point and our primary argument is that all of these claims are related to, within the meaning of this statute, so, so, the suppose, towing of the vehicle. I understand. My goodness. Uh, suppose uh, um, a vehicle uh, — I, I pay for somebody to tow uh, — I, I, I agree f- that somebody will tow my vehicle and I, I'll pay him $100. And he tows the vehicle, puts it in my garage, and says, give me the $100. And I say, I'm not going to give you $100. <laughs> now, is, you, you think that that general obligation under state law to, to pay uh, a debt that you've contracted to pay is 
eliminated? That's a very di- different set of circumstances. Why is that different from normal consumer protection law? I, I don't see that it's so much different. Well, th- this, this case is, involves a non-consensual tell. This case involves a situation where there was an opportunity, a fair opportunity, to pay for the towing and the, and the storage charges that had been incurred. What and difference does that make? Well, suppose there was a towing company that uh, lawfully towed cars, but its practice was uh, to hold the car for 24 hours, and if it wasn't picked up, they would immediately sell it for parts. Your argument would be that's preempted by the federal statute. No, we would. The state can't regulate that. Uh, I, I think the, the, the state could regulate that, Your Honor. What, what, what the state, what, this, what, the, what, a, what a private plaintiff can't do in a case like this is assert claims like common law negligence claims. All right. A, a, a private plaintiff could not assert a common law negligence claim if that were done. A, Awfully towed, sold for parts within 24 hours because it wasn't picked up. I think a, I think a private plaintiff could could probably assert that that negligence. Well, if that's really if that is not related to payment for services, uh, then why is this uh, uh, why is the there such a relationship here? Well, that situation doesn't involve a payment dispute, Your Honor. This case, the case we have before us today, involves a payment dispute. This is really a payment dispute. A person it would involve a payment dispute to the same extent as this, toad. Notice sent out, you know, immediately, wasn't picked up within 24 hours, sell it for parts. Well, that, that, that's, not a, that's not a payment dispute. The parties haven't, haven't disputed whether or not there, there is a payment obligation. The part, the, this, this case is about a dispute over whether there's even an obligation to pay for the, the, the towing and the storage services. That's what this case is about. This, this plaintiff had an opportunity to pay for and to discharge his obligation under state law. I, 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 I feel that when, when did that opportunity come up? Because I thought that uh, the notice didn't get to the, to the plaintiff. Um, and then when the lawyer said, I have a client, it's his car, then the towing company went ahead and put it up for auction, and then no bidder, so they sold it, pocketed the money, gave nothing to the car owner. So I don't understand how it's a dispute about payment. I, this is not a case where the car owner said, I won't pay for the towing. Well. Justice Skinberg, we don't we don't agree with that. It is it is exactly at, that at kind what of case. point did Pelkey say I won't pay for the towing? There's there's a letter in the record of the New Hampshire Supreme Court, Your Honor. It's, it's I believe it's at page 86 and 87 of the record in the New Hampshire Supreme Court, which is a letter from from uh, Mr. Shaughnessy, counsel for Mr. Pelkey, to my client. Uh, and this letter was written. Uh, something in the range of three months after the towing took place uh, and, and um, before the vehicle had been disposed of. And the letter asserts that Mr. Pelkey doesn't believe he should have to pay for any storage fees. He would, he would pay the towing fees, but he doesn't believe he should have to pay for any of the storage fees. Uh, and that's, that's really uh, — uh, reflective of what this case is really all about. It's about a dispute over payment. And the reason why 
this case uh, is so significant. No payment over towing, payment over storage. He, 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 he offered in this letter to pay the towing fees only. There was never any tender of payment. There was an offer to pay, provided that, provided that my client would tow the vehicle back to his place of residence because the vehicle wasn't operative at the time. If this was a consensual contract, uh, he asked Justice Scalia's question. They contracted for the tow. <coughs> what state laws would be preempted under the FAAAA with respect to that private contract? Would there be any? The, the, any breach of contract claim that might arise on behalf of the plaintiff would not be preempted. That's what the Court decided. How about the consumer fraud laws apply to that contract between the parties? The consumer fraud law That's might, might the basis of his claim here. It, it might apply as a matter of state law, but it would be preempted. Ah, so you're arguing that those laws would be preempted. It would be preempted to the extent that it's a, it, it, the case involves a dispute over payment for the services. This is a dis, this case is a back to whether the services include storage, which is what the New Hampshire court said it doesn't. The New Hampshire the movement of property or towing doesn't include services for storage. That's what the New Hampshire Supreme Court said, relying on the minority view that's come out of the Ninth Circuit in the Cherist. So why don't you answer that question? As I read the list of things that are preempted, they have to do with storage during transportation. Why should we read it more broadly than that? I th- uh, Justice Sotomayor, I think you're referring to the argument that's been made by my friends uh, with regard to the, the the final phrase in the statute with respect to transportation. Exactly. Uh, and the short answer to that question is that the term transportation is a defined term in Title 49, and it's defined very broadly uh, for for good reason because that term is used throughout Title 49. In fact, the term is used to define the scope of, of jurisdiction of the Department of Transportation. And the, the definition of transportation is quite broad. Well, and it, it includes storage is the point you're coming to, right? That's correct. The definition includes storage. You think it means, it means storage at the end of the transportation? Suppose you're a, you're a, a company that that moves goods, but we also store goods. You can, you know, rent rent space, and we'll store your furniture for years. Uh, if that company uh, picks up some goods, um, brings it to its warehouse, and leaves it in its warehouse for three years, that storage is covered by this by this statute. You think? See, I thought the storage was was storage. In the course of the transportation, sometimes when you're, you know, uh, all changing the mode of transportation, going from trucks to ships or something, you have to store it temporarily during during the course of the transportation. That's how I would read it. But you're saying even if you're a storage company, if you pick up goods and bring it to the place where you store it, that's covered by, the, by this statute. No, that's not what I'm saying, Your Honor. I'm saying that if you tow a motor vehicle and you bring the motor vehicle into your possession via towing, and as is the case here, you also store the vehicle, 
Uh, and in, 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 in particular, in a case like this, where the claimant was seeking to have the vehicle returned to his place of business, to, to his place of residence, that, those are the facts of this case. This wasn't necessarily the end of the transportation. The, the plaintiff here, the respondent, was asking for further transportation services at the end of the day. So on the facts of this case, the transportation hadn't ended. But even if we do have a situation where there would have been no further transportation, the, the reading that my friends have advocated inserts the word incidental to to transportation in the statute that doesn't appear in the statute. The definition of transportation doesn't include the word, doesn't say storage incidental to the movement of property. Let's say you uh, park your tow trucks on somebody else's parking lot, uh, uh, and uh, you don't pay the rent. So they sell your tow truck. Is your claim against uh, your landlord preempted? I, I don't think so, Your Honor, because I don't think that, that that scenario would fall within what Congress intended by the term services there. That, that claim, that claim that, that, that you've described, Mr. Chief Justice, is a claim that would um, uh, really be a, a breach of contract claim between the tow truck owners and his landlord. That would be a, a, a contract dispute. It wouldn't wouldn't relate to the the transportation services of of the of the of, of the tow truck company in a way that is picked up by this preemption statute. It, may, it it relates to it in a very tangential way, in a very remote way, I suppose, uh, but n- not in a way that's close enough. N- not in a way that that relates to the the business of a tow truck company in the way that payment disputes over 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 the services relate to the business of the tow truck company. There are any number of different types of disputes that motor carriers like tow truck companies could get involved in that wouldn't be preempted here. Motor carriers are involved in lots of different types of business activity that doesn't involve the delivery of their services. They could be involved in a real estate transaction, for example. They may be buying a new, a new depot, and there may be claims that arise out of disputes in connection with that real estate transaction. Those claims aren't preempted by the statute, even though in a very remote sense they, those, those disputes might be related to the business of, of the motor carrier. It's, it's very remote, un- unlike a situation where the claim arises out of the actual delivery of the transportation services. How, how does uh, — so if your tow truck is involved in an accident, is that, and the suit is filed uh, for negligence. Is that preempted? I don't think that's preempted, Your Honor. I, 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 and, and the reason I say that is because uh, there's a whole line of uh, court of appeals decisions in the airline area that deal with negligence claims arising out of the negligent operation of the aircraft. And your, your scenario is the negligent operation of a tow truck as opposed right. to an aircraft. I'm just looking at the statutory language. It says, you know, related to the service of a motor carrier with respect to the transportation of property, and, you know, your motor, your your truck is involved in uh, uh, transporting property. That's the the claim against you, that you don't, you don't render good service because you're negligent. And it it just seems to me to fit within the terms of the statute, (laughs) 
if you adopt as broad a reading as you adopt? Well, li- literally, I think you're, you're right, Your Honor, that, that the scenario you describe c- could fall within the literal language of the statute, but the Court has said that we can't go — we can't necessarily go to the literal end of the earth in the reading of the statute, uh, and w- we have to — we have to limit this in some fashion. And the limitation that the Court well, has well, fashioned — Let me tell you how, how we — it seems to me we've limited it in, in, in the Columbus case, Columbus versus Ours Garage and Record Services, Inc. We said that uh, — the clause, the clause's limitation to motor carrier services with respect to the transportation of property massively limits the scope of preemption to include only laws, regulations, and other provisions that single out for special treatment motor carriers of property. And here you've told us that this case doesn't involve any law that singles them out for, for special treatment. To the contrary, it's the general consumer protection law. Well, so uh, you want us to eat those words? They, they, they were wrong or, or somehow you don't come within them? Respectfully, Justice Scalia, I think those words came from your dissent in that case. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> So you say they were wrong, you say? No, no. No, no, I don't say that they were wrong, uh, Justice okay. Leah. What, what, I, what I would th- do, though, is I, I would point the Court to the language of the statute. And not only the, not only the specific statute involved here, the motor carrier statute, but there's a, there, there's a twin statute that's, that applies to air carriers. Uh, and it also applies to hybrid air and, and motor carriers. And uh, I apologize. We, I haven't set out the text of this statute in, in our appendix or anything, but it's, it's Section 41713 of Title 49. And, and it includes very similar uh, general, broad general preemptive language. And it does not — neither of those, those provisions in 41713 — Contains langu- limiting language that 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 would limit the scope of preemption in any way. Uh, the the and, and we know from the, the 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 legislative intent with regard to the statute involved in this case directly that Congress intended that the scope of preemption for all of these different kinds of industries would be coextensive. That's what Congress was trying to achieve with this statute was to give motor carriers the same breadth of protection through preemption that air carriers enjoy and that hybrid air and motor carriers enjoy. And so if there are no, if there are no limitations in, with, with regard to air carriers and in, in, in hybrid air motor carriers of, of the type that are suggested by my friends for motor carriers, then then that language at the end of 14501 can't be interpreted in a, in a strictly limiting factor. No, there's a lot of language in the majority pretty much along the line that Justice Scalia said. 
and I'm not, not sure it was in that point. I mean, Justice Ginsburg wrote the majority, and she said the reference to regulatory authority of a state, which is a different reference, I agree, should be read to preserve, not preempt, traditional prerogatives of the state. And Justice White said previously that you have to start with the idea that this is uh, — uh, historic police powers of the state are not going to be superseded by the Act unless it's a clear manifest purpose of Congress. So I guess the problem is with a lot of the other things that you yourself are in an area that is a traditional matter of state regulation. It is, in fact, regulated in a way that applies to everybody. It is indirectly related to the transport itself in that it takes place on st- about storage that took place after the event. So you have all that working against you. Now, the Columbus case does offer some hope for the other side, I would think. But what do you think? Well, Justice Breyer, let me just say, first of all, that that consumer protection is is, — I'm not sure I would concede that consumer protection is is, is an area of traditional state regulation. In fact, the New Hampshire Consumer Protection Law dates to 1970, and the, the Federal Government has largely occupied the field of motor carrier transportation since 1935 with the enactment of the Motor Vehicle Act in that year. So that's your problem, which is what is it directed to? And that's the real issue in this case. Yes, it's preempted with respect to any towing activity. The issue is, is it, pre- um, is it preempted, as the New Hampshire Court said, to storage and sale. That is what the New Hampshire Supreme Court said, Justice Sotomayor. I I would submit that that that's an artificial distinction that fails to take into account the broad definition of transportation in federal law. But why should the tow operation be treated any different from the garage when they're doing the identical thing, that is, storing and then selling the vehicle? Well, if a, if a person has brought their vehicle into a garage, Justice Ginsburg, there's been no transportation by a motor carrier. The difference is that in this case, this whole scenario started out with the transportation by a, by a motor carrier, uh, which uh, also, once it had possession of of the vehicle, stored it. Uh, and so in, in a garage scenario, I, I suppose if, if a tower towed the, the vehicle to a garage and then left it at a, left it at a garage to be worked on, uh, th- that, that garage owner wouldn't be in a position to say that I can assert a preemption defense because that garage owner has never, has never engaged in the kind of transportation activity that triggers this preemption law. I hope that answers the question. May I reserve? Yes. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Shaughnessy. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. May it please the Court. Transferring title and disposing of Mr. Pelkey's uh, car against his will and not compensating him for the loss of his personal property is not a service of a motor carrier with respect to transportation of property. The regulation of state-created property interests is a field of traditional state regulation, and the broad sweep advocated by Dan City Used Auto in this case would create a regulatory vacuum because there are no federal laws that allow the sale of a motor vehicle. Now, let me address some of the things that my brother has 
argue that this case is about that we disagree about. My brother has argued that this case is about payment. This case is not about payment. Mr. Pelkey is not challenging that Dan City's used car had the ability to tow the vehicle. We are not challenging how it was towed. We are not challenging the price of the tow. None of that is being challenged. And those are all the services of a motor carrier. Let me what, also — What about the price of the storage? Are you challenging that? We're not challenging the price of the storage. There was a reference to a letter that I had sent to um, uh, the uh, Dan City uh, people several months, but there are two letters. The first letter was actually quite close to within several weeks of the, the auction where we said, no, we're looking to pay for it. The other letter was, I think, in June, was saying, you need to account for these proceeds. You sold the vehicle at auction, and there's, there's equity in this property. You need to account for these proceeds. So we, we didn't challenge the storage, but that brings up the issue uh, raised by uh, Justice Sotomayor with respect to the storage. And I would disagree with the characterization of my brother with respect to what RSA 262 is. RSA 262 talks about removed vehicles. It actually provides the authority to law enforcement to remove a vehicle that might be in a public way, but it also gives the authority to a private landowner to have a, pro- a car removed that's on their private property. It does not relate to the motor carrier services of a tow truck operator. But it seems to me that you can't ignore the fact that part of what tow trucks do is store things. I mean, it's a necessary and integral part of the motor service, the transportation of property, uh, that they do. And regulation of the storage will affect the services uh, that they provide. Well, we would say — It's not just like storing anything else. Uh, Well, respectfully, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, we would say the storage is a separate service altogether. And the act of transportation — and this is another place where I would disagree with the characterization by my brother with respect to the definition of transportation. I believe the definition of transportation um, specifically refers to a motor carrier, meaning a person providing motor vehicle transportation for compensation, but also relates to the movement of the passengers of the property and the services related to that movement. So the very definition that applies to this case and to the transportation services relate to the movement of the property. Here, the movement has stopped, and the storage that we are, are dealing with in this case is precisely the storage that is in RSA 262, which is the storage charges, not for the movement of the property. So I'd, I would uh, clarify, Mr. Chief Justice, that it is our position that the transportation, with respect to the transportation of property, which Justice Scalia has uh, aptly pointed out, severely limits uh, the, the scope of this preemption statute. The services of the motor carrier terminated once the hook was off the, the tow truck. Well, that is what it's suppose, Mr. Shaughnessy, that the, um, the, new, the New Hampshire laws were more onerous than they are. Suppose they said to a towing company, once you've towed this uh, car, you have to hold on to it forever. Or suppose they said to the towing company, uh, you have to hire private investigators to go figure out uh, who owns this car. Uh, would, would any of those be preempted? Yes, I believe as pointed out in the, the road decision, what, in, in order for it to be related to the motor carrier service, it has to either directly regulate that service or it has an indirect connection with the service that significantly affects the service. In your example, uh, it would be a direct regulation. You're actually requiring a motor carrier to actually provide a service that the marketplace itself 
wouldn't provide or that the motor carrier would not otherwise provide. So that is a direct regulation or an example of directly regulating that would be preempted under this statute. But what we're dealing with here is the storage afterwards is not that motor carrier service. And I do believe the, the language at the end — How with do we draw the line, that line that you just asked us to draw, between direct and indirect? How do we articulate that line? The direct — now you're, now you're articulating a different line. You're saying um, this — what the hypothetical that Justice Kagan posited is not storage-related. It is something else related. It's towing-related. What's the difference? Correct. The, the way I — the way I interpreted the hypothetical is the State is then saying in order as a precondition to or as part of the motor carrier service of transporting or towing that vehicle, you also must provide — this other service over here, which is uh, actually uh, was one of the uh, problems with uh, the, the road case. And under the main state statute, under main state law, what they were requiring the motor carrier to do in row was actually to provide that verification service. And so that was a direct regulation, I believe, that this Court found. Well, uh, but under you, row. You, you've just told us that anything that significantly affects the transportation service is covered. And I think what your, your brother's uh, the argument is, is that this significantly affects the service, whether he can collect for the storage after, you know, after the, after, uh, towing it by, uh, by selling it and by selling it on, on terms that are not, uh, uh, so onerous as to, uh, impinge upon his, his ability to run the business. Well, it may impinge upon his ability or impinge upon how much he can collect. It may impinge upon those things, Your Honor, but it doesn't affect the service of the motor carrier with respect to the transportation of property. That's that's the movement of the property. Certainly getting paid is an important part of any service that anybody provides. But that's getting too attenuated. That's getting too far out. Well, is it too — I mean — this is a provision, of course, of the Federal Aviation Administration Act, and whatever rule we adopt is going to pl- apply to air transportation as well. And is your position, for example, that things related to a hangar at an airport, that those are not covered by this at all? It seems to me that there the connection between the transportation uh, and the storage, the storage of the airplane, you can see a little bit more clearly how that would affect what the airplane, you know, can do. A lien. You can't take the airplane out of the hangar because you didn't pay, you know, the rent or whatever. Uh, There is an effect there. And I do believe that this Court started drawing that line actually in the Traveler's case. And when the Traveler's case looked at this related to, that's what's causing the problem. Related to and what does related to mean? And as has been pointed out, if you actually use related to and and to its extreme, everything's related to everything else. And that's been said several times in, in the case law. But related to in travelers, I believe in that case the court looked at there was attention to that type of broad sweep of related to and the presumption against pre- preemption, which says we're not going to preempt, but related to seems we're preempting everything. So there's attention. So in travelers, we went to, well, we have to take a look at what the manifest intent of Congress was for the regulatory scheme. We have to look at the intent of Congress. And certainly the best place to look for that intent is first in the words that are used. But once we're looking at the intent, we have to say, does the actual thing that's being regulated by the state, and they're putting in their own policies by direct regulation, by a positive enactment, does it affect or significantly affect the deregulatory purpose? Well, oh, ah, I believe that ah, line was adopted in Rome. Right, now, uh, don't lose that. I, I'll ask you 
this question, to, which favors you in a sense, but I want the answer really from the Solicitor General, who may know, but I'm going to ask it to you, too, uh, because you probably both thought about it, and he may have some, they may have some experience on it. Uh, it's, if you start talking about significant effect, without those last words, deregulatory purpose, I suddenly worry about the following. Every city in the United States depends upon towing to regulate parking within the city. We couldn't function without it, although we none of us like it. We know that it's necessary. And certainly a law that provides for towing does directly regulate the service of the tow truck. It says do it. And then it tells you when not to do it. So what's the what happens? Is every traffic law in the United States involving towing suddenly preempted? I can't believe that. How does this work? So there's much more insignificance in this case in the words we write, perhaps, than in the particular case. Now, do you want to, in light of what my uh, concern is, add anything to what you say? And if you may not, the Solicitor General might, but I'd like to hear anything you have to say about that. Well, believe, I believe uh, with respect to RSA 262, which is the statute that is in this case, mm-hmm. it doesn't require a tow truck company to do anything. No, you, you can just rest on that, but I'm going to have or somebody's going to have to write an opinion. And we could just say that, but I, I, I don't see I can — my own problem is not being able to have an intelligent answer to that without having some answer to the bigger picture. And the bigger picture seems to me horrendously important, and, and I don't — know what that answer is. You, you seem to be getting there with the words deregulatory purpose, and, I, and I, I, I was thinking how we might try to work with those, but go ahead. Well, I think it's, it, it is an easier case in this case mm-hmm. under the FAAA. Oh, I think it's much and, harder than this case, well, because I, the relationship is, is in, the, uh, in the more general case, is more direct to the tow truck. It says, go tow. Well, you're and, right. and, and that's that's — well, I need a, some kind of bigger picture. I'm getting lost in the go-to command, if you will. And uh, I, we have a statute which says, if you park your car here for more than three hours, you will be towed. Okay? And as part of that statute, though we don't see it, there is an arrangement for the service of the city with the tow truck company, which says when the parking person calls you and says, the meter says, red, yellow, purple, green, you are to go there and tow. Okay? Doesn't that sound as if it's regulating the service of tow trucks? And I suspect across the country there is some variation on that theme, but there are thousands of them. And since the words, I would be repeating it. The words of this case may affect that situation. I want to know what you know, which may not be very much. I don't blame you. Uh, about that broader situation. Well, thank you for the out, uh, Justice Breyer. <laughs> um, but, again, I, I, the reason I'm getting lost is, and I understand the, the example having to do with the City of Cambridge having no, no parking, uh, and, and if you're there for three hours, that allows — there is this, uh, statutes that allow the tow truck operator, the motor carrier, to go and collect that under a non-consensual tow. And a non-consensual tow is a special animal, unfortunately, because there are no market forces 
in play there. But I don't believe that that's affecting the motor carrier service. There's nothing that forces that tow truck carrier to go out and actually undertake that tow. And if they do undertake the tow or do the business or whatnot, then certainly they would be uh, under whatever obligations that the State has. And, and, and that's one of the problems I think we I have. I think that Justice Breyer is uh, maybe speaking for him. He's thinking that that uh, State contract or that State regulation that permits towing companies to do this is preempted in some way. That would be his no, argument. I, I because the opposite. No? no. He's worried that it will be preempted. Correct. Right. Correct. And, and, and he, didn't make, just, he didn't mention Cambridge, did he? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I think you he did yesterday, are, too, Your Honor. Yeah, you're both from Massachusetts. <laughs> and they're, they're very attractive places, except in the winter. But the, uh, uh, a, a motor carrier vehicle, uh, a service Transportation includes related to the movement of passengers or property. Related to the movement of passengers or property. So we have those words related to again. Well, you've given me a couple of ideas, but maybe they'll turn out not to be relevant, but but, uh, which I hope. (laughs) I think maybe we have to make it up. What the limitation? I mean, you're quite right. Everything's related to everything else, and we've had trouble with the same, the very same words uh, with with ERISA, and and started off trying to give it its uh, its apparent meaning related to, and and we finally concluded you can't do that. So, uh, what do you want us to make up? What well, kind of a limitation <laughs> do you? Well, I, Justice Scalia, I don't think you have to make up too much in this particular case. It gets easier to draw the line because of the with respect to transportation of property. So with respect to the FAAA and motor carriers, we're drawing the line as to only the services of the movement of the property, and that is limiting. And I, do, I would agree with your dissent. Related to, related to the movement of the property. That's right. the problem. It's the related to words. Correct. And then we go back to the instructions in row, which, is, which provided the framework that says when you're interpreting related to, you go, one, is it direct directly um, uh, regulating or directly affecting service, or if it's an indirect effect, which obviously can be, it has to have a significant impact on the services. And then there's the ultimate out of the moralis that says if it's, it could certainly connect, but if it's too far attenuated to the purposes of Congress, it's just not going to be done. I know that doesn't help with the lawn drawing in, in, in connection of the gray area that we're dealing with in this case, but I do believe in this particular case it is easier because we have that, those words of limitation. With respect to the transportation of property, our words of limitation, and they are not present in the ADA, and they were not present with the ERISA cases, which deals with a broad regulatory scheme with long history and other things that apply. We don't have that in this case. I believe the New Hampshire Supreme Court got it right when they were focusing on actually what is a service of a motor carrier, and I believe we do have words of limitation in this particular case. So what the Supreme Court of New Hampshire said is the manner in which a company in possession of a towed vehicle may, not must, may, dispose of the vehicle to collect on a debt created by the operation of state law is far removed from Congress's aim of promoting free markets and equalizing the competitive playing field between motor carriers and air carriers and help assure transportation rate services reflect maximum reliance on on forces. I also believe that the petitioner has basically given up the case and conceded the case in several places in their brief and in here in an oral argument today. If you look at page 34 of the petitioner's brief, it says that most 
that the most that Dan City really can say is that the services within the meaning of Section 14501C1 includes activities that are incidental and distinct from the actual transportation services. So the petition is brief, is calling the storage afterwards, after the transportation is stopped. And they call it incidental and distinct. In the reply brief at page 21, they say, moreover, criminal laws prohibiting theft are not the kind of burdensome state economic regulation Congress sought to prevent with the FAAA. Nor are abandoned vehicle laws, such as New Hampshire Chapter 262, and its regulations which do not hamper the operations of tow truckers. Instead, they establish procedures for the efficient handling and disposition of abandoned vehicles. So they're conceding that RSA 262, in this case, the statute, does not have a significant impact, so this is not a clear case. I see I have more time, but I think I've made all my points, if there are no more questions. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Yalen, welcome. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Congress deregulated the trucking industry to eliminate undue interference with market forces and consumer choice. But market forces and consumer choice cannot operate on the sale of non-consensually towed cars, and there's little reason to think that Congress intended to preempt state laws that regulate that conduct. This Court, in this case, as in many preemption uh, cases involving the phrase related to, must engage in a, uh, in a uh, process of sensible line drawing. Everything is related to everything else in the literal sense, and the Court in Travelers suggested that the Court should not, courts should not use uncritical literalism in determining the scope of a preemption provision. I think that this Court does have some work to do in this case, but a lot of the groundwork has already been laid in the Roe case. In Roe, this Court held that a state law is related to a motor carrier service if the state law either directly regulates the service or if it has an indirect connection with the service and a significant, forbidden significant effect on Congress's deregulatory and preemptive objectives. Well, that gets, uh, I asked your friend on the other side the question, uh, storage is part of what tow trucks do, uh, maybe in a way that, you know, cross-country trucks don't. And it seems to me if you have a local jurisdiction who figures out, well, this is a great way to make a lot of money uh, uh, or, you know, to give uh, — or the other way, uh, you, you know, you can charge uh, charge a lot because we want to keep uh, subsidized tow trucks. I mean, why isn't that fairly directly related to the service they provide? Um, it's certainly a foreseeable um, uh, service that could be provided. The question is whether it has the, uh, a sufficient locus to the transportation itself. I think there are indications in the statute itself and the statutory purposes which suggest that the Court should view service as a separate uh, type of service, independent and distinct from transportation, at least in the towing context where the motor uh, transportation has ceased. The reason for that, Your Honor, I, I don't understand what you just said. Say it again. Yes, sir. Um, I think that there are reasons in the statutory text itself and in the in in the statutory objectives for viewing service as independent. Excuse service me, where? storage. Service where? I, I misspoke, Justice Scalia. S- storage. Storage uh-huh. as independent of transportation. And and the reasons for that are as follows. First, let me start with the statutory text. 
The statute defines transportation as services related to the transportation of property. And for — and storage has been in the Interstate Commerce Act for over 100 years, the term storage. And for over 100 years, this Court has construed disputes concerning storage and considered whether or not Federal law governed or State law governed. When the storage was before delivery of a package, for example, the storage was considered to be storage in transit, and it was part of the transportation itself. But if the storage occurred after delivery, that was a separate service, not connected with the transportation. Mr. Yellen, I gave Mr. Shaughnessy a couple of hypotheticals about very onerous regulations involving storage after the towing that might very conceivably have an effect on the tower, drive up the tower's prices, conceivably even drive the tower out of the market. So how do we draw the line as between this and those kinds of things? Um, so I have two points that I'd like to make uh, with respect to that, Your Honor. The first is that I think the hypotheticals you gave are much more difficult cases and could very well cross the line if a State tried to indirectly influence towers. For example, let's assume — uh, if I may elaborate on your hypothetical, that a state really disliked the practice of non-consensual towing, really wanted to try and rein it in, and so imposed certain conditions on towers that would discourage them from engaging in this particular type of service. I think that would be an indirect type of regulation. But it would, if, as a matter of fact, it really would um, impair the ability or the interest of towers to provide this service. To well, how, how do we discover that? I mean, will we, will we look into the city council hearings or what? I think in part, Your Honor, no, these I, are — I want to be able to look at the law and say the law is preempted or the law isn't preempted. Don't tell me, you know, if the purpose of the law was this or that. that that's, that's not something I'm able to do. Your, Your Honor, I think some of these preemption questions — necessarily are factual in part in nature. The Court, to, to consider whether or not um, a service of a motor carrier is affected by an indirect uh, statute. Yeah, that's factual, but, but whether the intent of the City Council was this or that is not factual. Oh, no, that's right, Your Honor, and I didn't mean to suggest that that would be part of the inquiry. Would... It's, it's it, no, no, Your Honor, the question is whether it would have that effect, that factual effect. Yeah. And, and if I may, I think it's critical in this case to point out that petitioner has conceded at page 21 of its reply brief that laws like Chapter 262 do not hamper towing industry practices, and respondents' amicus, Towing and Recovery Association, explains that laws like this provide a critical backbone for non-consensual towing services. In the absence, well, but I mean that's uh, maybe maybe these, but you can easily imagine that these types of laws would be subject to abuse and would have an adverse impact on the towing company, and therefore on the transportation of property. And, and if there were such abusive laws, Your Honor, and if they do impair the transportation of property and the services that a tower w- was willing to provide, I think that the Court would likely consider those cases and consider those Well, now we, only, now we not only have to decide whether this type of law is related to it, but once we say uh, uh, some of those laws might be and some won't be, depending upon the impact in a particular case. Your Honor, I think um, every law has to be considered in its application. And I think that, for example, in Morales, the Court just didn't consider guidelines. Every, every law doesn't have to be considered in its application. You say you can't, you can't speak uh, out on the sidewalk. doesn't matter what they apply. You can consider that law absolutely. And Fair enough, Your Honor. My, my comment was too broad. What I would say is some laws will be obvious 
um, those that directly regulate towing industries, for example, a state law that flatly prohibits non-consensual towing, would be the type of direct regulation which is uh, proscribed by this preemption clause. When you're talking about indirect regulation, however, that perhaps is where I think one needs to consider it on an as-applied basis, because indirect regulation, by definition, is not going to have an obvious uh, um, direct uh, 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 limit on towing services, and the question a court will have to consider is whether the indirect regulation is sufficiently onerous that it does impair the provision of towing services. It seems to me we have two choices in Morales, uh, since I can mock my own opinions. I, I wrote at the end, uh, it's not uh, uh, when it's too tenuous, remote, or peripheral. Well, that's singularly unhelpful. It seems to me that there, 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 there are two directions. so at the time. Yeah, you were right. There, 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 there are two directions you could go. But first I'd like to know, it seems my guess is it is universally thought by cities that this act does not preempt their normal parking regulations. Am I right about that? You are right about that, Okay. Then if, if we either have to take this tenuous, et cetera, this is too much, this isn't too much, da, 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 or you've given — there's another thought being thrown out, and that is you relate it to the basic purposes of the Deregulation Act, and you say that where the city is regulating something that never was, could not be, and is not part of a regulated or deregulated market, i.e., has nothing to do with the subject matter, then it is not preempted. Now, you do you want us to take that approach? Should we — punt and just use the words like tenuous, or uh, — and if we take your — the implicit suggestion, what's the right way to do it? Your Honor, I think the two alternatives you sketched are not uh, mutually exclusive. In fact, I think they support each other. Mm-hmm. I believe that when um, a uh, state law does not have a significant effect on Congress's deregulatory and preemptive objectives, it is, by definition, going to be too tenuously connected to the motor carrier services. I would propose, Your Honor, that in this context, where the Department of Transportation would have no regulatory authority and where there is no private market that could um, fill the vacuum that would be created by the removal of state laws creating the structure for the private choices that are undertaken here, this would be a prime example so it, it would depend upon how severe the consumer protection law is. Is that right? If it's a consumer protection law that really whacks the uh, uh, the tow truck operator, that, that would be different from a moderate, benign consumer protection law. We're, we We have to examine each consumer protection law on its own. Is that it? I think the answer has to be yes, Justice Scalia. In Morales, for example, the Court considered the application of a consumer protection law um, where the states were trying to use specific guidelines. Well, why doesn't this one really whack them, though? It's treble damages and all that. Uh, You can answer my question. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Your Honor, the Consumer Protection Act claims that are asserted here are premised on Chapter 262, which structures the background um, organization of the uh, um, uh, uh, non-consensual towing services altogether. There will be no treble damages if the uh, substantive provisions were satisfied. If they're not, 
that would be a different question. And, Your Honor, there's been no evidence suggested here that, in fact, treble damages for a violation of the background laws which structure the standards that tow truck companies are supposed to undertake would have that harm. Thank you, Counsel. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bufard, you have three minutes remaining. Thank you. Let me take a couple of moments to try to address some of the questions that seem to be troubling some of uh, the justices. Uh, Justice uh, Breyer, uh, the the simple answer to why local traffic safety laws wouldn't be preempted is that there's an exemption for, for the safety regulatory authority of states in the statute. And, um, and uh, Justice Kagan, the reason why this, this case goes over the line uh, uh, and is preempted is because what the plaintiff's damages claims in this case seek to do is they seek to enforce duties that go well beyond what even the New Hampshire abandoned vehicle law requires. They seek to impose duties of reasonable care to seek out the owner of the vehicle. The the negligence claim seeks to impose a duty to act, a duty of reasonable care in disposing of the vehicle uh, and and a duty of reasonable care to return the vehicle to Mr. Pelkey. And those duties, and whether there's been a breach of those duties, will be determined by a jury. Uh, And so when tow truckers are faced in the future with having to live up to those sets of duties, they will never know whether or not in any given situation their conduct will be second-guessed as having been not reasonable by a jury, and they will be subjected to damages claims by plaintiffs. Under the, the abandoned vehicle law, the rule is very simple in New Hampshire and under in, in many other jurisdictions. Pay or your vehicle can be sold. It's a very simple rule. And that it also tells how the vehicle will be sold, uh, sold, and your client is invoking that statute in order to be able to sell the car, but wants to have enforced only the parts that are favorable to the tow operation. The, the, the regime in New Hampshire is, yes, you can sell the vehicle, but this is how you do it. And it seems to me that that's not how it was done here. Well, well Justice Ginsburg, actually, the, the tower here wasn't invoking the law. The tower was simply following what the law says in terms of the process. This is a mandatory process. When, when a person comes into possession of another's vehicle in New Hampshire, and, and there's no claim made for the vehicle, the law requires that the tow trucker report that fact to the Department of Motor Vehicles. And uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles then looks at the information that's provided and then instructs the tower uh, about the process of whether or not the vehicle can be, can be sold without notice, or if, it, if notice is required, what notice is required. But the, it's a process that allows you in certain circumstances to sell the car and to take the money. And what Justice Ginsburg is suggesting is, you know, you have to take the bitter with the sweet. Please. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I think that um, 
The, the New Hampshire law is the New Hampshire law, and uh, what we have here is a, is a tow trucker that was just making a good faith, uh, a good faith attempt to comply with the law. And if, if tow truckers that are making good faith attempts to comply with the law are faced with Consumer Protection Act claims and negligence claims and the kinds of remedies that come with Consumer Protection Act claims, that will have a significant impact on the business of these motor carriers. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted.